New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. In this summer of 2022, after more than two years of the COVID pandemic and the long war in Ukraine and monthly mass killings, we long to go back to the way things used to be. When there were no more masks and we're enjoying large collective gatherings without fear of catching COVID and the price of gas is affordable and children are safe in their schools. So going back to what is called normal is what many of us are longing for. Our guest today, Michael Mead, advises us that we must break the spell of normalcy itself and we must accept the presence of uncertainty. However, the good news is that with every ending, there is a new beginning. And today we'll be exploring the collective rite of passage we are experiencing and how using the wisdom of myths gives us a roadmap to the renewal of life itself with our guest, Michael Mead. Michael Mead is a renowned storyteller, author, scholar of mythology, and student of ritual in traditional cultures. He has scoured the world to bring us meaningful folktales that tap into ancestral sources of wisdom and acts as a guide to connect them to the stories we are living today. Mead is the founder of Mosaic Multicultural Foundation. He also offers Living Myths podcasts and workshops. He's the author of many books, including Awakening the Soul, A Deep Response to a Troubled World, and The Water of Life, Initiation and the Tempering of the Soul. Join us for the next hour as we explore the recreation of a better world as seen through the power of myths with our guest, Michael Mead. I'm speaking with Michael from his home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Michael, welcome once more to New Dimensions. Always good to be with you, Justine. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm so delighted to be talking with you once more. And I we've got to go back. And I know that you've spoken about this many times on the program, but why are myths important? And, um, you know, especially in these threshold times. Well, myths are the vehicles of the archetypal patterns 
and the deepest wisdom of the human soul. And you could say that um, when nothing else makes sense, myths make the most sense. And so uh, I like to think of the world as having three layers, with the first layer being the literal world, the surface world, the obvious world, the measurable world, and often trying to be the logical world. And then there's a second world, which connects the inner to the outer, which is the psychological world, and that doubles everything. You get not just what is the experience, but what does it feel like? You get all kinds of doubling, including the complexes like, uh, you know, uh, passive aggressive and uh, all those kind of bipolar things that are all part of psychology or the psychological world, which doubles that first more evident world. And then the third one is the mythological. So it's logical, psychological, mythological, and mythological expands beyond the psychological. And it includes the spiritual. Um, it includes the power of imagination. And it includes the connections to the deep archetypes that are the patterns that everybody keeps living out. Archetype of the mother archetype of the child, archetype of the warrior, archetype of the creator, which is very active right now, or trying to be active. And so when nothing else is working, myth tends to have the answers that are missing. And the important things in life can be forgotten, but they can't disappear. So if at the first level, people are forgetting the deep wisdom, it, it falls out of awareness and it drops into the psychological level. And if it isn't found and captured there, it drops into the mythological level. And so stories bring us back the kind of living wisdom that is part of the natural inheritance of the human soul and always has been. In myths, often they take us down. They're yeah. not transcendent, so to speak. They often take us down into some dark place. Um, there's some darkness all of, in, in some in most myths. Uh, it, comment on that about how why why that is and the importance of that. So you can start with a number of ideas like why darkness is misunderstood. Uh, so almost all creation myths begin in it's either called chaos, which means something amorphous and not formed and not visible. But literally, chaos, a Greek word, means the abyss or, or, or the gaping chasm. So that implicates darkness again. And so you, if you say nothing was there, that's not much of a story. So it usually starts with the eternal dark waters. And then creation happens. So, so first there's nothing and then there's everything. It's like when creation happens, then everything's there. And so when um, when things are no longer there, you go to the eternal dark waters to find them. And so I think of creation stories also as recreation stories. And there are many of them in which earth itself goes missing and you have to dive to the bottom of the dark waters to find the earth and bring it back up. Okay, this 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 takes us to to the myth. I, I'd love for you to share with us today uh, the Sky Woman okay. myth uh, that really yeah. highlights this. 
So this is in a category of myth called the earth diver myths that appear all around the world in all kinds of cultures. And But this version is one of many versions of it that exist in North America, the North American continent amongst indigenous people. So this is going to be a shortened version of it. So um, in the beginning, all there was was the dark eternal waters. And then somehow a rend or a tear appeared in the sky. And from the tear in the sky, a woman fell. And she was falling directly down towards the dark waters of the abyss when two geese that were flying along caught her. And so they held her in the nest made by their wings while they called out, are there any other beings alive? Are there animals somewhere concealed in this world? And what came up was a turtle. And so they descended, the birds did, with the woman who fell from the sky onto the back of the turtle. And there at least they could rest and the woman that fell from the sky could rest. And by the way, for many people, this earth is still called Turtle Island. And so now, though, the turtle was saying, isn't there something that could be like ground somewhere in, you know, in this darkness? And the turtle called out to all the hidden concealed animals, how many or who's willing to go and descend to the darkness and see if there's something down there like Earth? And so different birds and other kind of diving animals go down. Some of them don't come back. The ones that do come back are exhausted, but don't bring anything. And then finally, at least in some versions of the tale, a toad goes all the way to the bottom, comes up, and then is floating, almost exhausted, almost dying on the surface of the water. And the turtle pokes into the mouth of the toad and finds a ball of mud in there, takes it and gives it to the woman who fell from the sky. She takes the ball of mud and puts it around the rim of the turtle, and it and she begins to handle it and it spreads out and it becomes the whole earth. And that's how the earth came to be. And it turns out that that woman who fell, fell from the sky, her name was earth. And so that's the first little section or part of the story. And and that's like um, the, the descent or, or the, of the feminine. So it's, so that's the feminine energy that's creating this, this earth. Um, any comments on that? Well, this is a, also part of the kind of stories where the feminine is creating the world. And um, those are not the best known stories in monotheistic religions, but they're all over the world. And the beauty of this story is the earth, which is at the bottom, is connected to the divine feminine that's at the top. And so you have this stretch, I call it vertical imagination, that goes all the way to the heavens and all the way to the depths. And so that gives you a sense of the size of the feminine, that it goes all the way up into the cosmos and into the heavens, and it goes all the way to the depths of the darkest thing you can imagine. So when people say the feminine is missing, they're talking about an enormous thing that is missing, an enormous symbolic energy, a force of creation that is no longer understood. And we and we call it Mother Earth. Yes. I mean, that's that's a normal, I think all over the world, it, we call it Mother Earth. Well, and this story says that Mother Earth is also the divine feminine in the heavens. That's part of the, you know, it seems simple, but that's part of the beauty of it, that so, yes, Mother Earth is a beautiful image of um, the fact that the Earth is living, 
that it's nourishing like a mother, that it's caring like a mother, that it's welcoming. Um, and also then there's another mystery there because the earth is both womb and tomb, which is the feminine mystery. That because what happens next in the story, it turns out that the woman who fell from the sky was pregnant when she fell and she was pregnant with twins. And when it comes time for birth, one of the twins agrees to be born in the normal way. And the other one instead, opposite of that one, kicks his way out of the woman who fell from the sky and that breaks her into pieces and the pieces are fall of her fall into the earth that she has spread. And that becomes all the edible plants and all the medicinal plants and everything that comes from her body because she now is both the divine and the earth with its natural, you know, generating capacities and its, uh, its power of the source of life. And that part of the story, one might look at that second twin as being very destructive because it kind of kills the mother in some way. It breaks her apart. And that's very shocking uh, in some ways. And we'll talk more about that in just one moment. But I, I do want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Michael Mead. He's, um, as you can hear, he's a wonderful storyteller and a scholar of mythology. And he also offers regular Living Myths podcasts and workshops. So you can find all of this on his website if you go to um, mosaicvoices.org. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Michael Mead, and we're talking about um, the Sky Woman myth that really is helpful for us in this time of conflict, and and that's really what's happening right now. And we're talking about. I, I think before we really get into the detail of the two twins, Michael, I'd love for you to say something about endings and beginnings, because we're living in threshold times that we we notice so many endings, so many things have changed and passed away, and we would want them, oh, I wish they could come back. We watch these movies of the 1950s, and it seems like, oh, everything was such a, 
a utopia and so wonderful and life was grand. And yet um, those endings um, also portend beginnings. And I'd love for you to, to comment on that. So that's backing up into other perspectives of mythology. There's an old saying that whoever can hold the end and the beginning together will survive all things. And so myths are really always about ends and beginnings. Those are the bookends of mythology. And in in myth, every ending leads to a beginning. The word end doesn't mean finito, fiery end of the world all over. The word end means remnant or, or loose end. And so from all the things that get loosened, which is another way of understanding all the endings going on. There's a loosening of the world. There's a loosening of the institutions. And from the loose ends, the world is remade again. And, and then at the human level, in order to kind of understand it, it's not simply sequential. That is to say, while things are ending, other things are beginning. And I'm seeing the ending as going down with one hand, I'm going as things end. With the other hand, I'm saying things are beginning and my hand's going up because as in the story, what we're looking for, um, the new earth, the better earth, the nurturing earth that we've kind of already lost is found at the very depths of everything. And so on a mythological level, the world renews itself from its own depths, but to make it very personal, a human being, in order to renew their lives, has to go, has to descend. We Our lives fall apart, like when the woman that fell from the sky is broken into pieces. You know, I'll, I'll be in a room with a big audience, like when we used to be able to do that, and I'll say, how many people who has had their life fall apart? And everybody's hands go up, and most people are putting both hands up, because it's happened to us over and over what myth says is when things are falling apart, descend further, get to the bottom. And modern people think that at the bottom they're empty, but everybody used to know at the bottom, we're in touch with the archetypes that were the beginning of the world. When we get to the bottom, we find the beginning again. What we're looking for has been lost in the dark. If it was in the light, people would have already found it. And so here in the time of darkness, we're in the dark times, and our job individually and collectively is go to the bottom. And just as when the woman who fell from the sky, once she has the earth in her hands and she handles it, it begins to expand and grow. That's the image for how the world renews itself. That's the image for how we find a renewed worldview, because that's what we need. So, so Michael, what I'm getting from what you're saying is that um, when we find that things are disintegrating and changing in our lives and it's just like chaos, to hang in there long enough, I guess, to hang in there with the uncertainty, uh, even though the little self or the ego doesn't like it, oh, it's fighting all the way, but... Yeah. You're, you're saying, hang in there, uh, go deeper, go deeper, go, Absolutely. go to where the earth really is, that, that mud. Anything worth doing involves depth. Anything worth doing, you have to go deeper. 
And uh, Hafez says, let the dark time season you. So we're supposed to get seasoned now by the darkness. And going back to the beginning of myth, all things created came out of the darkness. Darkness is the closest thing to creation. It's the precondition for creation. That's true individually as well as collectively, as well as on the level of the planet. And so the collective is falling apart. Its body is breaking. The institutions are getting hollow and nothing works anymore. And the answer is not to have another committee meeting, but to get to the depths where life is trying to renew itself the way lotuses arise. In, in ancient India, the image was the lotus. You see the flower at the top and the stem goes into the waters and keeps going back. And the source of life that is manifested as the lotus is the dark earth below everything. And so the interesting thing about mythology is the little folk myths like the one I've been telling, tell the same story as the great myths of civilization. Um, and so now the, the woman who falls from the sky is not a woman. She's the divine source of life. And so when she breaks apart, it's not like a woman was being broken apart. It means kind of that when the earth is created, the manifestation of the original divine unified source breaks into many parts and pieces in order to be the manifest world. And so the story kind of shows a second creation. The first one is is the appearance of the earth from the depths below. The second one is when the twins are born and their job is to carry on creation, except that they're opposites. And so one, they're often called the, the hard brother and the tender one, or uh, sometimes they're called a flinty and sapling, or sometimes they're called bad mind and good mind, but they each continue creating the world and and the gentle one creates beautiful gentle birds and and you know cuddly animals and and the hard one creates serpents with poison and all kinds of animals with horns and claws and all this kind of thing which those are aspects of nature i mean you know people think of nature as you know cuddly sometimes but nature has tornadoes it has quicksand there's all kinds of nature is this Mm, bifurcated world of beautiful and terrible things. The human soul is like that. The human mind is like that. When things fall apart, they polarize as if the two brothers have come back. And then everybody feels caught between this tension of opposites between that's what seems like good and life enhancing and what seems like uh, bad or evil and life destructive. And here we are again. We're in, back in that as a point in history and as a collective experience, we are in the tension of the opposites right now. You said when things fall apart, they polarize. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a truth. That's something that always happens. What, what we're, yeah. tell, tell us more so, about that. Okay. So again, we're in the, like the surface world where things seem to be together. And then as, as things fall apart, they tend to polarize into dark and light, good and bad, all those kinds of things. And, and because what's happening is falling back towards creation and creation is dark turning into light. 
So the polarization is an indication of something creative trying to happen. When you talk about that darkness, um, and as I kind of prepared myself for this interview, I remembered a, a time, and this has to do with darkness and seeing into the depths and the availability of the depths in the darkness. If I remember times when I would be in the woods with people and we'd be around a fire, a bonfire of some sort, and the light of that fire actually obscured the darkness. If I turned my head away from that fire and looked into the woods behind me, I couldn't see it. It would be like a wall of light that would... Um, prevent me from seeing it. But if I left that bonfire and walked into the woods and left that that light, I could see into the woods. I could see the depths of the woods. That's that's a physical sort of thing that reminds me of what you're talking about when you say um, the depths, um, the going into the darkness uh, provides some depths of vision of some sort. So I'll I'll just go sideways to another Native American myth, another tribal myth, uh, where the first people, um, the first ones made. And and in this case, the creator is not the woman who fell from the sky. It's called the one who made the earth. So this is so old, there's no gender involved at all. The one who made the earth, whichever one you want to think about. And so the the first people are, are born, placed on the earth. And they don't even know what's going on. And, and they're trying to adjust to life. And, and, and they're saying to each other, this is not, not a good place. This doesn't seem like a good place. We're not resting well and we're not having any big dreams. And it was so close to creation that the one who made the, made the earth spoke directly to them and said, if you don't like where you are, you should begin traveling and find a place where you rest well and have big dreams. And of course, people have been wandering ever since. But anyway, the first people find a place. Now they're having good dreams and everything seems good, except that goodness never lasts very long. And pretty soon some people get sick and no one knows what sickness is. And therefore no one knows what healing is. So no one does anything. And the sick ones are wasting away towards death. When four people decide to go and stand at the end of the day, when the night falls like a cloak of darkness over the world, and they each look in a different direction and they stand facing the dark, not knowing what to expect. And the one who made the world speaks to them and says, for every sickness on the earth, there's a cure. For every illness, there's an antidote. For every trouble, there's a solution. That's the nature of the earth. And that was the beginning of knowledge. And that was the beginning of healing. By being in the dark, accepting the darkness and facing it, And once you get the idea that all creation begins in darkness, the dark times become the creative times. If we are willing to accept the darkness and accept, and you mentioned the little self or the ego, this is a big problem for the ego because we have to accept we don't know. We don't know when COVID is going to end. We don't know what the outcome of the climate crisis is going to be. We don't know what's coming next. That's where we are. We might as well join those who stand in the dark, get seasoned by the darkness, and become the ones who receive knowledge, and knowledge specifically about healing. 
Thank you. Wow. Okay. That's, 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 that really helps me a lot. Um, I'm here with Michael Mead, and he is a storyteller, a scour of uh, meaningful folktales that, that really help us uh, bring wisdom to guide us and connect us with the stories that we're living today. And he offers regular Living Myths podcasts and workshops on myths and if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, mosaicvoices.org, O-R-G. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Michael Mead, and we're talking about living myths and how they inform our lives in the world today. And one of the myths that we're living in is has to do with um, the mythology that we as human beings are accidental beings. What do you have to say about the prevalence of that particular thought? So on one level, you could say that um, the modern world has fallen out of story. Um, it's fallen out of the cosmogonic story, the, the fact that we're all part of the cosmos. And, um, and yet you can't really get away from myth. So one of the modern myths is science. At a certain level, science can be seen as a story, as a myth. And uh, one of the things that happened in the story of science is uh, they got better and better telescopes. You know, people used to think the Earth was the center of the cosmos. And then they, oh, no, the sun's the center of the cosmos. And then they went out there with better, you know, telescopes. And they went, there is no center. It's eccentric. There is no center. And so the conclusion then was because there's no center, this is all accidental because the center would give it order. So then people began to believe, literally people believe in the accidental universe. If the universe is accidental and we're born into it, we are accidental beings. If we're accidental beings, we have no inherent meaning and no inherent purpose. And therefore, this whole thing is chaos. And all you should do is grab whatever you can and hold on for dear life, which a lot of people are doing right now. The mistake that was made is misunderstanding. There is no measurable center of the universe. If you're looking on the first level, the measurable level of the world, and you can't find the center, that's not the end of the story. You can find two centers. One of them is in the psychological realm, the deep center called the self, the self that is secretly connected to the soul of the world and to the cosmos. And then when you get to mythology, the deeper place, it turns out that the center is everywhere. You can't find it unless you're centered and the place in which you're centered is connected to the center. So on one level, there's no center. On another level, wherever a person is that is centered is the center. The center is everywhere when consciousness is there. I remember years ago, Bucky would Bucky Fuller would say, um, there is no up or down, but it's it's in and out. So it's from our own center out that that's 
where that lies. Is that what? what yeah, it's, for, it's very close to that. And Carl Jung saying there is an organizing center called the deep self that knows who we are and why we're here. And that deep self is connected to the soul of the world. And, and it's because of that that we can understand stories. So the story says the woman fell from the sky and then the, she was caught by the birds and then she stood on the turtle and then she made the earth. And we're following along because deep inside ourselves, we're part of that story. We understand that. And the earth is in us as well as the place that we stand on. And so a big thing has happened in the Western world when stories, practices, and spiritual ideas from the East came into the West and, you know, yoga and all kinds of meditation practices that mostly came from the East. And the big import is those are all based on the idea that what we're looking for is inside. Mm -hmm. And to have, and the West is so outward aimed that this was a big missing piece. And so, but then when you go back to myths, tribal myths in the Western world, even ancient European myths had the sense that the inside, if you go deeply enough, is connected to the center and the center is the same place as the beginning. So this is a mythological idea. The center and the beginning are the same place. So on one level, you could say the center is the still place within the quiet pond of meditation. On another level, you can say that same central place is where everything begins and all creation comes from. It's a paradox, but so is the center of paradox. And so um, we are connected automatically once we're aware of it, of a deep centering place in ourselves that can be the place of stillness and meditation, which so many Eastern practices lead to, but it also is the place of the beginning of creation, and creation keeps beginning from the still center that is not so easy to find. So I'm getting the image that this center inside, inside, it's it's a place where creativity wants to emerge. So like out of the emergencies that are occurring all around us, there is this center place of creativity that wants to emerge. Yes. Yes. So if you go to the archetypes, archetypes are the patterns that exist in both the the human soul individually and collectively. They're the, the stories that we keep living the archetype of mother, father, child, all those kind of things. One of them is the archetype of the creator. And so when everything's falling apart, at the deep level of the psyche, the archetype of the creator is going, falling apart is like chaos. Chaos is the beginning of creation. Come on, everybody, get deep. Because deep inside each person, there is this archetypal energy for adding to creation. Every creative act puts something in the world that wasn't there, and every creative act recreates the original creation. Mm -hmm. The world is trying to renew just as nature renews itself. It creates the big forest of trees, and then if men and people stay out of the way, the trees eventually fall down and they rot into the earth, and from that comes the new trees. Birth, death, renewal. Life, death, rebirth is the mystery. It's the mystery of nature. It's the mystery of the cosmos. And it's the mystery inside the human soul. I know you have talked about how we are all 
living in the same story. I mean, it's like, uh, Michael, uh, we, we, you know, one might think, okay, this group of people is living this story and this is how they've taken in information and that's how they're processing it. And that's different from the way I look at it in my story and I see it this way. But you're saying that's false. That's false. I'd love for you to okay. comment, comment yeah. on that. So literally, people now think they're living in different stories, and you're not in my story. Only people like me are in my story. What they don't understand is we are living in the story where polarization has become evident, and therefore, people rejecting each other and being opposite of each other is the middle of the story of recreation. That's where we left the other myth. So the two brothers represent all things that are polarized. And, and the second phase of creation uh, required the separation of darkness from light and all kinds of things. The, the world comes from the one primal source, but in order to manifest, it has to break into parts and it has to polarize. So the world that we are born into is the world of dark and light, of night and day of left and right. The heart has two sides. There's two lungs. There's two eyes in order to see the world. And so it's not that the world is dual simply. It's a duality arising from a unity that it has to return to once in a while in order to regenerate. And so right in the midst of the most divided times, we're closer to the archetype of creation and we're closer to being creative ourselves if we allow the dark times to season us, if we accept what we're in. So another way to go at it is if you can hold the tension of the opposites long enough, then the third thing is born from that tension. And that birthing of the third thing is a recreation and something that was missing from the world comes back through the intensification of the polar opposites. So it's like beyond the duality, the either or, you're saying a third thing. And that brings up um, a poem that I know you you love. And this is um, a translation by Coleman mm -hmm. Barks, uh, a Rumi. He says, if you want what visible reality can give, you're an employee. If you want the unseen world, you're not living your truth. Both wishes are foolish. <laughs> Both wishes are foolish. But you'll be forgiven for forgetting that what you really want is love's confusing joy. Uh, please, please help us with that one more. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so there's Rumi and our friend Coleman saying, here's, here's a pair of opposites. The, the person that believes in hard reality, this is it. It's only real. We're here, we're born, we live, we die, that person. And the other one who's said, you know, kind of new agey maybe, and who's saying, no, we're the, we're the children of light. We're the, you know, we're the, uh, the carriers of the, uh, the glow of eternal creation, you know, not so grounded on that side. And Rumi is saying, and he always has been saying this, Rumi is a poet of darkness and light. And, and he's saying that polarity, which exists, we can find it in this world now, if you would hold it rather than take one side or the other, will generate the thing we're looking for, which is love's confusing joy. And so 
uh, I mean, it's really a poem trying to show the mythological opposites producing the creative third thing. And so then you wind up with the idea that love is all we need, which, you know, can be a trite statement. And yet it can be a very true statement. We're looking for love because love unites. Love gives us the communio back. It puts everything back together. And love gives birth to more life. And so in this case, it's the polarity between the strictly limited hard sense of reality and the kind of maybe overly inflated sense of spiritual elevation. Neither one is the whole story. But two of them, though. So the idea is to hold that tension and say it's not simply the good and the bad. It's the tension between opposing things that appear as the good and the bad. Staying in the tension, it's called creative tension. It's there in the myths at the beginning, generates the next version of the world. Or on the individual level, it generates the creativity that's inside each person. And according to mythology, each person born is born with the seeds of generative things in them, is born with gifts intended to be given to the world. And right now, the world needs these creative gifts that can only be found through creative tension and going to the darkness inside ourselves. You spoke of love, and it just occurs to me, as as the way that you were framing it, that... Um, Love is bigger than the either or, and love is like that universal glue uh, that 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 is sustainable. I don't know. This is just an idea. Well, love that- is transcendent. You transcend the limitations when when love is alive in someone. They and they're not just an employee. They're not an employee of anyone. They're not holding on to the limited, you know, measurable, solid rock real world. They're in love. Everything is fluid. And when someone is in love, they're not simply on the brighter upper side. They haven't simply lifted up into the clouds because love, in a certain sense, needs a body. And and, and love has its own darkness. It's a light and a darkness as well. As they will say, love hurts. While it beautifies, while it beautifies. Yes, yes. I'm here with Michael Mead, and we're talking about uh, living myths and how they really awaken the soul and how they can guide us. I'm uh, Justine Willis-Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Michael Mead, and we're talking about the 
myth possibly that is very helpful in in these times and it's a sky woman and tell us okay there's more to this myth that that might be helpful right myths have this amazing architecture part of the architecture of this myth is that the woman who falls from the sky the divine woman from the sky is the same being who brings the earth up from the deepest, darkest place. She then gives birth to twins, one of whom's kind of light of spirit and the others who dark of heart. And so it's continuing this architecture. And so then what happens is, as I mentioned, the gentle one is making cuddly animals and beautiful birds, and the other one's making monstrous animals and so on. And then one day what happens is the gentleman makes a partridge. And as soon as that partridge is created, it flies in the opposite direction where the gentleman knows is where the evil dark brother is. And he calls to the bird and said, why are you going to that side? Why are you going to the dark place? And the bird says, because there's a big toad over there that has swallowed all the water of the earth. And if I don't go where the water is, I won't be able to live. And so the gentle brother follows the bird over into the territory of darkness, which you could say the good part of us now is wandering into the dark world. It's all around us. We're finding it again. And, and when the good brother gets to the big toad, the opposite of the toad that went down and got the earth, this is now a kind of negative toad, has swallowed all the fresh water. And so he punctures the toad and all the fresh waters flows back into the world. There's streams and rivers and the world is in flow again, except now the good brother is in proximity of the bad brother or the hard brother. And they realize the world is not big enough for the two of them. And so they decide to have a formal fight and they're having the fight. And not surprisingly, the hard brother is whacking on the good gentle brother and beats him down into the earth and is pounding him into the earth. And it really looks bad for creation and, and, and all things, really all things. And what happens is the mother who has become mother earth and is alive and a genuine, you know, spiritual being and so on, speaks to the good brother, the gentle one, and says, listen, I know it's not your style, but you have to defeat your odd brother or creation will stop. And so she encourages and inspires the good brother who then reverses the thing and pounds on, on the negative brother and then chases him out of this world. And then later in a dream, the hard brother comes to the gentle brother and says, I'm now in a, in a distant place in the West. And when people die, they'll travel out of the world where you are and they'll come to where I am because the brother has become death. So anyway, the, the negative brother is off in his own world now. And then the gentle brother continues creation in a life enhancing way. And so part of the story of the myth is that this world is tipped towards the gentle. It's tipped towards the good. It's tipped towards ongoing creation with the blessing of the Divine Mother. That's part of the thing. So back to what I was saying at the beginning, they're recreation stories. It's trying to tell us that when it all falls apart, when the dark brothers have been elected to positions of power, and whatever way we want to call the world coming apart, that Mother Earth, who is also the Sky Mother, is waiting to inspire us about how to keep it going, how to turn it back into whatever you want to call it, the more beautiful, the positive activity of creation. 
I remember Dr. Martin Luther King quoted the 19th century clergyman Theodore Parker, who first wrote, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Towards justice, towards beauty, towards the good, towards creation continuing. It's tipped that way. The whole cosmos is tipped that way. That's the mystery. That's, I'm going to say it again. That's the mystery of the cosmos. It's the mystery of nature. It's the mystery of earth, and it's the mystery of the human soul. Life, death, renewal. Birth, death, rebirth. That's the mystery we're living in. That's what the myths are often talking about. And now we're in the time where we have to, we're in the middle. We're in the dark part. We're in the collapse. We're in the death throes of a world that used to be. And like you were saying, people want to go back there. It's already over. There is no back there. The place where we're called to go is on. And the only way to find the vision of where to go next is to be like those first people standing in the dark, looking into the darkness, acknowledging that we don't know what's going on or what's coming next. And then the messages come from the darkness, from the just the way the earth comes from the deepest part of the dark eternal waters, just the way the voice of Mother Earth comes back to the good uh gentle brother when he's being pounded into the earth. It's not simply that we have to save the earth. That's another heroic adventure that will backfire. The earth is trying to tell us, trying to show us how to be like it. The myths are trying to show us how to be like the earth. The earth trying to show us how to be part of this life, death, renewal process. And I, I'm thinking, going back to the very beginning of our conversation, you, you talked about there's a loosening of the institutions. And in that, that breaking apart of things, is it's hard to create things when things are so fixed. But when they, are, it's when they start to break apart and start to loosen, that's that peace I think you're talking about, that that things are slightly tipped toward uh, goodness, because that's when recreation, we can decide again how to be and how to, how to make it right and good. Or be informed by things that have been forgotten that ah. don't disappear, but they fall into the depth of the psyche and they fall back into stories waiting to be rediscovered like the voice of Mother Earth encouraging the gentle brother, gentle sister, whoever you want to have. And notice that the voice comes in to the one, the gentle one, when beaten down. It's the same thing being repeated over and over. We don't improve ourselves by getting higher. We improve ourselves by finding parts of ourselves that are deeper down and weren't known. And so it's repeated throughout the story in different ways. So but the difficulties, difficulties is really where, where we are, have the impetus to change truly. Yes, because yes, the world, we need a better world in some sense, but you can't have a better world without a better worldview. It's the worldview that we had that's falling apart that doesn't work. And we can name all the things that are wrong with it, the misogyny of it, the, the abusive dominance of certain forces in it, uh, you know, the, the kind of tendency to call certain people not human and cast them out of humanity when humanity is automatically inclusive. All those things that are wrong 
are the things that have to be envisioned, envisioned a different way for the next world. We need a new worldview that's inclusive, that's life enhancing, that is, uh, you know, closer to the origins of creation. And the elements of the world, if we consider the world to be living, that means the living earth and nature, they're trying to inform us of how you do it. It's really challenging. It's challenging to accept the tension of opposites and not go to one side or the other, but to realize that tension is there to create something new. And, and we are invited to stand in the, in the tension. That's challenging. So in that challenge, if we only use one eye, and I think you've written about this, if we only use one eye, whether it's the eye of, oh, I'm uh, everything is good and, and I'm going to transcend all of this, or the eye that, oh, I'm going to go to this other place of, of yeah. exclusivity and, and greed and I got mine. Either one isn't yeah. going to do it. We've got yeah. to use yeah. both eyes. Yeah, we have to see with the inner eyes of the soul. That was the old idea. There's an inner pair of eyes that are waiting to awaken, open from inside. And what causes them to open is tension and trouble. It's a second birth. It's the birth of the inner vision natural to that person. The person who says, I know I'm a good person and it's other people doing bad things is polarizing the world. They're not telling the full truth because when we go inside, we find, oh, I do have those bad thoughts. I do have these kind of destructive urges. Uh, Rumi, again, said, if you don't understand that everyone is like that black and white uh, cow, then you're not yet living. So that which we project on others, we carry inside ourselves. And holding the tension of that, that awareness, that I'm, I'm only, hmm, I only fulfill my goodness when I act in a good way. The rest of the time, I could be unconsciously contributing to a whole lot of harm. And so that means getting into the tension between the uncertainty of what to do and accepting that. And then we're close to creation. And then we're closer to adding to creation, which is trying to continue. So that's a tough thing, the realization that we have to be in the tension of the opposites. And I think what's going on literally in the world is we are in it, like it or not. Every news report tells us about that. Climate crisis is showing us bigger storms. It's hard to say that nature is just a charming place when it's full of enormous storms that cover the whole sky. And of course, politics is completely polarized. So we have to become knowers uh, who have the patience to stay in the tension and then let the inspiration that's trying to enter the world through human beings come in through us. And all of a sudden, the inner eyes open and we get a glimpse of the next world and we're able to contribute to it. May it be so. Thank you so much, Michael, for being with us today. You've just been so informative and helpful. I've been speaking with Michael Mead, and he offers regular Living Myths podcasts and uh, workshops. And you can know more about his work. Go to his website, mosaicvoices.org, O-R-G. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3761. 
New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.